Hello and welcome to an episode of Evol X on the struggles of the offshore wind sector and the upcoming Barrick Bank wind farm with SSE. I'm Ryan Duff, our print features lead, and joining me is project director of Barrick Bank, Alex Meredith. How are you doing today, Alex? Oh, I'm really well, Ryan. Thanks. Oh, glad to hear it. Glad to hear it. We're happy to have you on board. I think, uh, you know, the, maybe the, the global, but definitely the UK energy sector has had uh, a, a close eye on the wind sector in recent weeks. Um, some positive news, some maybe less so. Uh, and I think it's we'd be amiss not to dive into that while we've got you here. So um, obviously we got the results of the contract for difference process last week. Uh, which we saw zero bids go towards offshore wind. What does that mean for offshore wind projects in the UK and their rollout? Well, I think it, it, the first important thing is it makes our challenge to address the climate emergency through decarbonisation of our electricity system more difficult because we had anticipated and the government have set really ambitious targets to deliver offshore wind in a, in a sort of upwards trajectory in terms of volume towards 2030 and the target that UK government has set is is 50 gigawatts which is which is very ambitious and that means that we need projects to be moving forward through the process um, in a consistent but also accelerating and increasing volumes um, in in that way um, so no bids means fewer projects moving forward this year um, and that means that that target and that challenge to deliver um, the capacity that we need to make a difference to decarbonizing our electricity system uh, is more difficult, frankly, than it would have been if projects had moved forward this year. You know, like when when we're hearing uh, the the commentary around the news that came out last week uh, regarding the CFD process, obviously there's talk of inflation in the sector, and you know how the price wasn't right for uh, for the supply chain to bid, but how. How is the sector able to maybe combat that infl inflation? We're seeing, you know, VAT and fall pull out of projects, uh, major projects in the UK. It is, it's, a, it's a problem not just here, but the, the other side of the pond in the States just are experiencing a similar thing. How, how, you know, as a project director, how do you combat that? Well, we, we have a constant challenge within our projects, and I'm sure it's true in other projects too, to, to reduce um our overall cost of energy um, that we're producing. Um, and that, that's been a consistent theme through all of the projects I've worked on. Um, you know, the sector, all, all renewables, in fact, have worked very, very hard to drive down our cost base so that we can deliver electricity at the cheapest possible price for the consumer. And that's been hugely successful. And that's what's delivered the results that we've seen in terms of um, in terms of renewables, particularly becoming the, the cheapest form of electricity available now. But the world has changed. It does keep changing. You know, it has that uh, annoying habit of turning and, and things happening. And we have seen some changes in the last few years, which have really driven um, supply chain costs up significantly so people have talked about figures of between 20 and 40 percent and and that's certainly realistic from my point of view um, and that that means that our cost base in terms of delivering these projects is increasing has increased significantly um, and that makes the challenge of, of delivering projects to the to the sort of costs of electricity that we've seen in the past much more difficult now that that challenge is certainly one that's being felt by the supply chain too and as you'll see that um, some of our partners um, that we've we've worked with on previous projects have had challenges in terms of their own 
um, profitability and and sustainability as businesses. Um, so you know they're not calling a bluff here. This is this is genuinely a tough time to be in the sector and to be trying to deliver deliver large scale projects. Um, and those costs and those cost increases are therefore inevitably passed on. And we have to try and manage that in the context of the overall um, challenge to to maintain low prices of electricity. So it's a headache. It's a challenge. Um, it's it's something that the industry has been through over the years at, at different times where cost bases go up and down. That's that's the nature of inflation. It just has never really been quite as dramatic as we've seen in the past couple of years. So that that needs to feed through to the government um, auction process and the, the the pricing that they're offering for projects to move forward. And as we saw in the results in AR5, uh, allocation round five, you know, that hasn't fed through. And the result is the projects don't progress in the way that we need them to. And obviously that has a major impact on achieving the, uh, the goals that the UK government set for wind. And, you know, up until very recently, we were world leaders in the sector. You know, it just sort of lost out to China recently in terms of capacity. And obviously the, the the issues we're discussing are impacting that rollout. Is there light at the end of the tunnel? Is there sort of like, oh, well, you know, if we do X, Y, Z, then we, we can sort of get over this? Absolutely. And I think it's important that we, you know, we, we, we get the um, context right here. Um, you know, the UK has built a formidable um, offshore wind sector. You know, a, lot, a lot of that is in Scotland. And, um, you know, the, I think everyone should, who's involved should be very proud of the the scale and the um, the expertise and, and and all of the the success that we've had so far, um, you know that wasn't a given. Honestly, as we look back in across the industry, there's a lot of pioneers and people who've, who've fought hard to to get the industry to where it is now. And this is certainly a blip. You know, we've had a um, we've had a, a real um, shock. And I think you know we we see it as a potentially a bit of a crossroads um, for the sector. So. There is there are projects that we can progress to help deliver the targets. Berwick Bank being a great example, you know, one of the largest projects in the world, four point one gigawatt potential, um, put moving towards um, uh, an auction next year. But the crossroads really has, has different different options to take for government. One is to support large projects going through the auction next year, and next year is crucial because we, um, you know, if we don't get through the auction process next year or potentially the year after then delivery by 2030 becomes really difficult and um, just just in practical terms getting the getting the plant built in that time will be very challenging um, and so what we need from UK government in particular next year is or it will be this year when the rules are set so we need to see sustainable auction terms um, so pricing that reflects the changes in cost base that we've seen um, delivery years that allow for flexibility of delivery, um, and we need to make sure that um, the 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 overall package, uh, load factors, overall budget is is realistic and consistent with the government's 2030 target. Um, we'd also like to see a separate pot for offshore wind, and we'd also like to see um, the the contract length for these auctions extended to 20 years is consistent with other markets where that's happening. And if those things happen, then I think we will see a successful auction process next year and that will get the UK back on track. There's quite a lot of capacity now, 
potentially to, to move through that process next year. And those projects could be delivered by 2030. So you've been quite clear there, Alex, and what the sector wants to see from government in terms of moving forward, in terms of making sure that we get that ball rolling or, you know, maybe maybe get that ball rolling is maybe not the right phrase, maybe continue to have that ball rolling. But what is the sector doing to pressure government into making sure that it is maybe meeting you halfway in this uh, this sector? Yeah, well, as always, it's it's a dialogue and a, a conversation that, frankly, I mean, as you would have seen reported, we've been having for quite a long time, and we actually, as a as an industry, could foresee, although it wasn't Berwick Bank in potentially in AR five, we could see that AR five was going to be a failure if changes weren't made even a year or so ago. Um, so th- those conversations were being had. And, and I think there was a sense that um, the UK government were listening, which was helpful, but perhaps were a bit unclear as to how serious the consequences might be if um, if the the process was allowed to play out as it did. You know, the arguments already been put and the, the points that we're discussing about sustainable auction parameters, about pricing levels, uh, about delivery years, um, about separate pots for offshore wind rather than having all the renewables um, technologies competing against each other. Those points have been well made and, and we'll continue to make them. Um, and as I say, we, we do we do recognise UK government is listening and we appreciate the time that we get to spend to discuss this further. Um, we, and we're, we're, you know, we're doing that right now, but we will, we will need to see action, frankly, in the next um, six six weeks, 12 weeks, um, certainly as we run up to the um, the announcement of the um, the auction parameters for the next round of, of auctions next year. So the time the timing is quite short and, and we're actively engaged in those conversations as I'm sure people are across the industry. And we speak more or less with one voice here that, that this needs to change and we need to take the right path in AR6 or else the challenges will will escalate further. And just getting back to you know the the, the sort of state of the market at the moment, you know, we like I said, we're seeing projects getting cancelled. We're seeing maybe a, a hostile uh, environment for investment from a wind developer perspective. How do you keep pushing forward? How do you justify saying, well, we you know we we still need to do this when there there are there it seems an awful lot like from the outside looking in the deck's almost stacked against you, right? Yeah, I think that the the, the balance has changed. That's for sure, and um, it's gone too far in in one direction as we've seen um, with the, um, the the outcomes in recent recent weeks. So we need to see that balance reset. Um, so that there's a realistic um, ability for um, companies like SSE uh, and their shareholders, who you know are, are, are investing in the company, a great British and an Irish flag bearer for the sector, um, and we we know that we can deliver um, large scale projects in the UK and across the world if we have that investment from shareholders. But shareholders are are going to be looking at, um, at our returns and how the, the the projects stack up. So realistically, to continue that investment and the commitment that SSC has made, which is very significant in the next uh, in the next ten years, um, we need to see the the pricing that is um, offered for offshore wind through the CFD process as being realistic and sustainable. Um, I think you know the purpose of and, and the the mission that SSC is on to support our transition into a net zero world to be a leader in that process is is a really strong commitment um, and it, it's supported by shareholders and we know 
it's the right thing to do. And, you know, the team that I work at on, I work with at Berwick Bank, the renewables business, the whole SSE business is committed to the, to that mission. But re realistically, we have to see um, the the balance for offshore wind in terms of an investment proposition reset into something which allows for that large, you know, multi-billion pound investment to be released. And if we can do that, the benefits are not just for SSE and for um, you know our 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 company and and those who work with us, but it's also for the overall supply chain in. Um, in Scotland in particular, but across the UK, you know, Barrett Bank as a project has the potential to deliver nearly 5,000 jobs in the UK, um, half of those in Scotland. We want to work with our partners to ensure that manufacturing is is uh, brought to Scotland and that we see sustainable long-term jobs, highly skilled jobs um, and investment in the Scottish and British economy. So that, that benefit of delivering these projects and getting that support that we need uh, will flow through not just through you know one or two companies and developers but into the whole supply chain and the manufacturing base as it re-emerges re and is is supported um, in in Scotland and the UK. You know I, I feel like I'm just sort of throwing uh, throwing the book at you here I'm putting you through the gauntlet of uh, tough questions within the wind sector but I do think we'd be amiss not to speak about grid connection you know grid the connection to the grid is a major stumbling block for a lot of projects. But Berwick Bank, and correct me if I'm wrong, but they've secured two connection points to the UK electricity grid. How important is grid connection for a project like yours? Well, I suppose there's a practical answer to that, and that is it's essential. Um, we have to have um, a way of bringing the green, clean electrons back to um, shore and to people's homes and businesses so that they can be used and replace the um, the existing fleet of, um, of, of fossil fuel burning um, electric electricity um, stations. So, you know, practically essential. For Berwick Bank, you know, we've built our model around connecting to the grid. There are, you know, there are, um, I think, some challenges around that and in particularly in Scotland. We know that the way that the grid is priced and the way that um, electricity stations or you know, offshore wind farms in our case are charged for use of the grid is unfair and penalizes projects that are connecting into Scotland. So that's a, that's a challenge. Um, so we'd like to see some progress on, on leveling that up in terms of the, um, the way in which Scottish projects might have become essentially more expensive because of the transmission costs. So, we're in a good position in so much as we have grid connections for the project. Um, you know, we, we want to deliver on those and there's a lot of infrastructure and, um, and work to do to make sure they happen. But um, the real issue for us is not so much the connection, which, you know, we, we, we've secured is how much does it cost us to, to use those connections and, and we should be able to see a more realistic um, rebalancing again of the fact that, generation stations that are in places that are windy like Scotland or offshore in Scotland are now going to be the the backbone of the electricity system and therefore shouldn't be penalized for being further away from the demand which is what the original system was set up to to um to to achieve um and we should have a better system that that doesn't penalize scottish projects and i suppose with that pricing policy with that pricing standpoint is, is there a risk that if things don't change, that maybe these projects that 
are set to go to Scotland or, you know, the the ambitions for wind and Scotch waters. Could it maybe, could we maybe see projects moving further south uh, in order to maybe cut costs? Well, there's, I mean, there's, there's, there's always going to be a limitation to what you can do around shifting um, sites because clearly there's a process of, of achieving um, rights over development in certain parts of, of the seabed. And so we know that there's a huge um, pipeline of projects potentially coming through in the in the North North Sea, so the Scottish waters, um, and that that won't change. Um, what what is potentially interesting is how those connections then come ashore, and whether the balance of is it better to look for the most um, local connection point to reduce costs around cables against the costs of connecting in those points if they're in Scotland, because they are at the moment very expensive and therefore looking to connection points further south. Um, or in fact, moving towards a, um, a, a system where you're, you're not looking for a grid connection at all. You might look for some kind of um, uh, <clears throat> other route to market or a, a, a sort of what, what we call power to X or, you know, maybe, um, transferring the the power to hydrogen um, through, uh, you know, electrolysis process onshore or perhaps even offshore. Um, these are all options that I think people will consider. For, for Berwick Bank, then they're not as urgent because we do have those connection points. But I think realistically, the most efficient way to, to ensure green electricity is delivered to the places that it needs to go um, is to make sure that the windy places in the UK are the cheapest places to develop and deliver power. Um, and that means making sure those connections are not more expensive than, than being um, connected to places which are less windy. You know, recently the uh, the Windsor report kind of shone a light on the, the state of grid connection, specifically with, uh, with uh, the wind, wind network in, in the UK. From, a, yeah, again, from a developer's standpoint, what do you want to see change? And what is industry doing to try try to convince that change try to push that change well as i say we we have a um we have a grid connection for barrett bank so we feel that we're at the front end of the process in terms of um you know moving forward with our own grid connection so the changes that we need are more i think to facilitate more connection at, at more realistic costs um so those are those are, are discussions that go on with government and i think we need. There is a, a program at the moment for uh, um, uh, for reform of of charging, which we are engaged in that um, consultation and discussion. And you know, SSE will 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 put forward our perspectives. Um, so we we will see reform, I think, of the transmission charging regime. But it's a um, I think it's a long process and one which we hope will balance up the um, the current imbalance, which is that projects in Scotland are charged um, a great deal more for their transmission costs than projects further south. So yeah, like, like I said, I've put you through the gauntlet of, uh, of difficult questions. CFD, uh, supply chain challenges, inflation, and uh, grid connection. Let's, let's speak a little bit more about your project in particular. Berwick Bank started off as two separate projects, uh, an, an initial Berwick Bank project and uh, the Mar Bank. Uh, offshore wind farm as well. From from a project uh, lead standpoint, what is the logistics of bringing two two developments, two plans together like that? Well, it's a really interesting question. I mean, the, the 
the the fact is, if you go further back in time, then it was one zone. So the original leasing process for the site that we now call Berwick Bank was uh, back in like 2010. Gives you a, a feel for the the time periods we need to work to for offshore wind at the moment, which is in itself a, an issue. Um, but that that first or fourth zone was well, SSE won the rights to that zone in along with another developer and the first part of that development was sea green which is the project which is currently just into the commissioning phase now over a gigawatt and the rest of the zone was looked at for potential development in the future and that as you say was was then looked at as potentially two sites of berry bank of marbank when we looked at that again in 2021 we realized that in fact the crisis we have in our you know, with our climate the urgency with which we need to move to a decarbonized electricity system um, meant that we should progress the project in one go to try and accelerate it and deliver the full capacity as quickly as we could. Um, and you know that's aligned very much with the SSE's values and, and the the, um, the mission that that really was was kicked off back then. Um, now we through the period that we've been working on this, that argument to deliver as quickly and at greater scale as possible has only strengthened as sadly we've seen the invasion of Ukraine and that's brought energy security very much into the spotlight and the need for speed and scale in delivery of renewables to potentially address um, energy security issues, but also um, to, to lower costs for consumers. Because as I said earlier, even even at rates that are higher than the um, the most recent auctions, offshore wind is very, very much cheaper than fossil fuel alternatives as a, as a source of electricity. So the, the, the argument that we were convinced by when we looked at this back in 2021 was that we need to move this quicker and we need to move it at the greatest possible scale. That argument has only got stronger. And so we brought the two sites together into one planning proposal, um, which is which is where we are at the moment. That's process of determination of that proposal. But we think, you know, if, if Scottish government are serious about the targets that they've set themselves, UK government too, you know, we want to meet um, that challenge and deliver projects that can really make a difference to um, the decarbonisation efforts that are going on. And Barrett Bank is, I think, the the most exciting opportunity, as well as the biggest, to really make a, a step change in the delivery of offshore wind in the UK. You know, you just uh, touched on there, uh, I took a wee note while you were right, uh, speaking, about 10 years uh, since uh, since approval. That's a, that's a long time, and we do hear about projects taking taking a while to get going. And, you know, with the UK government's... Uh, ambitious wind targets is policy maybe getting in the way of rolling out as quickly as we need i think we hear uh, often it's like what a turbine a day or something to reach 2030 goals um is, is it is it happening quick enough is is wind rollout maybe getting picked up as fast as it should be my opinion is no it's not moving fast enough and that is i mean that is i think clear when you when you think about the way that we've handled crises and you know emergencies in recent years, um, and you don't have to think about the pandemic, you know, sad that that is, to think about how government can move to a different footing when it when it needs to, to, to deliver something really, really fast. Um, you know, think about all of the different things that we had, that the government had to do to 
uh, do its best to address the pandemic. You know, it is possible. I mean, the vaccines in particular are a great example of how a supply chain um, and a process can be rolled out very quickly when government really, really uh, mobilizes to do that. And what we're seeing with, with the wind sector and renewables more broadly is, I think, a real ambition to to accelerate and to move quicker. And all those factors I mentioned earlier around um, energy security, pricing and so on are all driving that process to move quicker. So I think fundamentally, we're all aligned. We all want more renewables, faster, greater scale. The problem is that that is quite a technical, difficult business and it requires technical issues to be solved quickly for decisions to be made, um, you know, frankly, for... um, you know, balances to be struck um, by government quickly to reach a conclusion about whether renewables and the need to um, deliver decarbonisation is is as high a priority as as they say it is. And then I think we will see things move forward quicker. I mean, the the, the point is that these projects are large scale investments. They take they, they need to be right. We need to be confident we can do them. That that does take some time. Design work, um, engineering work. You know, the most extraordinary talented people thinking how to how to you know create these enormous um structures put them at sea uh make sure they're sustainable and 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 all these factors have to be played out so it does take some time but certainly the way that government approaches this uk government and scottish government could be with greater urgency for sure and we see that i mean the most obvious example is that auction process that we talked about earlier that realistically if we want to move these projects quickly we need to give them the sustainable support that's required through the through the cfd auction uh, but but equally for berwick bank we still need to achieve a planning decision and that's something that's in the scottish government's hands and we uh you know we we've, we've put in a great deal of information into that process and we're looking for a determination by the end of this year um and we you know we're optimistic that that, that can be achieved but Again, that'll be another test of how urgent, how urgently are government really going to progress large projects and and help us deliver them. And getting back to uh, Barrack Bank, uh, the project that you're you're in charge of, we we touched on job creation. Uh, we we touched on that a little bit earlier, but let's let's sort of dive into that. You know, how how does a project like yours impact a local community and the wider supply chain? And maybe, maybe more importantly, we hear of uh, news that throughout the energy transition, energy will become more localized. What do projects like this do for local communities? Well, there, there are opportunities all the way through the process for communities that are, are close to or you know are, are within the sphere of the the project for sure. So, for example, at the moment when we're doing the development work, we um, we've reached out to a number of uh, suppliers in East Lothian, which is the area we're most closely connected with, um, and we've we've worked with some different um, companies, small companies usually working on content to help us promote the project. For example, you know animations, digital content, things like that. And we, you know, we we continue to look for opportunities to do that. Um, there are also consultants and uh, planners and um, you know lawyers, frankly, who are all potentially part of that local economy in East Lothian who we work with. We also we also go there quite a lot, and that helps the local economy in terms of um, you know hospitality and and things you know adding to the to the economy. At, at the later stage, perhaps the most important stage from a job creation perspective, which is when we start getting into fabrication of the components and the construction itself, 
again, clearly there are huge opportunities for for people to work on the project on the ground in East Lothian when we're constructing the cable route and the substation. Um, and we, you know, we really expect, you know, to, to all our contractors who we'll work with to, to really push that um, opportunity really hard. Once we get once we get into construction, of course, there's there's opportunities as well, um, as we're you know we have plenty of um, let's say large numbers of people working both offshore and onshore, and what what really excites me honestly is that there then is the long term process of operation, and that requires a team of people for a site of Berwick Bank, a large team, um, and they will need be needed for you know twenty five thirty years depending on how long the, the wind farm's operational. And that that those people will start work, you know, properly. Let's say in 2028, 20, 29. Um, and as we sit here today, those people might be in classrooms in East Lothian now. Um, you know, coming through their early years of secondary school, with a potential to go into an apprenticeship. You know, when we start operations, so we go to the schools, we talk to to the the children there, and I think some of them do find that a bit hard to um, get their head around that. By the time we finish the project, they might be leaving school and they might join us as an apprentice. Um, but you know that's that's a really exciting thing to see, and and the interest that we get from those programs is is huge. And we really you know we really want to maximise the opportunity for all um, all people who want to engage in working on our wind farm to come and join us, whether through apprenticeships or or technical training. Um, as we get into that operational phase. You just said there that Berwick Bank will have to have a large team because of its, its scale. Do, do we have a, a general number or maybe even a more specific uh, figure regarding how how big that team would be? Well, as we go through the the process of delivering the wind farm, you know, we expect to create up to what, nearly 5,000 jobs. Now, that won't, those won't all be in the technical operational side. That will be through the process of um, delivering the project. But um, yeah, you know, we, we, we look, we're going to need uh, several hundred people working on uh, the operational side of the project long term uh, because the project is of such a large scale. Now, what we hope and expect is that those, you know, those people will work with us. They might work with other wind farms to create a sort of ecosystem of, um, of real quality technical ability. Um, and so as the offshore wind industry grows around the world you know those opportunities will come up for people who've worked with us to go off and do other things and that's kind of normal and expected so we expect a pipeline of people to come through our project and develop in that way i mean you you might compare it a little bit to the oil and gas sector and the the opportunities that arose in scotland you know let's say in the 70s and 80s were great for you know for for a long time and then those people many of them went off and, and did um the similar work around the world and created new opportunities for people in scotland too and one of the great things honestly about the project at the moment is we see a lot of people coming back from the oil and gas sector because there are some um crossovers as offshore working and so on um into our team um and joining sse and joining barrett bank so there's a kind of natural cycle here, which hopefully we can keep going, where we see people with great skills in Scotland working now in renewables. We then see new talent coming into the renewable sector too. And we can help the transition of Scotland towards this decarbonised economy whilst creating a lot of jobs and opportunities for people. A real positive note to end on there. Thank you very much, Alex. Thanks very much. That does it for this episode. I've been Ryan, and if you would like to remain a part of that global energy conversation, 
Stay tuned to Energy Voice Out Loud. Out Loud is the podcast from Energy Voice, leading the global energy conversation. Bookmark and subscribe to energyvoice.com, sign up to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for expert analysis and insight right across the energy sector. Subscribe to Out Loud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do encourage colleagues and friends to listen to Out Loud too. If you've enjoyed it, leaving a rating or review, especially on Apple Podcasts, helps others discover it too. Thank you.